It's Tuesday, August 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, the one and only Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. We've got some earnings. We've got a couple of high-profile sales that we're going to get to. We got to start with tariffs. <laughs> From the point where you and I started talking on Slack this morning to, you know, like an hour before we were coming into the studios, like, wow, I felt like an entire day had gone by in just those couple of hours, and yet here we are. Tariffs. The market's <laughs> up. Everything's fine because the tariffs are being pushed off to December, and it's just, it's. <laughs> we're trying not to be exhausted. We're trying not to, you know. Just get worn down by the trying not to be super skeptical. Exactly. I really feel like history is going to look back at this point in time years from now, and there is going to be one of the most egregious and massive insider trading scandals that dates back to this current time and in place. I mean, it is. It does almost look illegal when you see how this news cycle. Resets every day. It it just is crazy. Well, and you know this is. I mean, this is in response. I'm, I'm, and by this I mean this conversation you and I are having. This is in, partly in response to questions that we are getting from listeners, yeah. asking basically, is this market manipulation? <laughs> um, what do I do now? Although I w- I will say uh, you referenced you know, years from now, looking back on this time, I just. Right before you came in the studio, I taped an interview with David Gardner. It's going to air on Motley Fool Money this weekend. And one of the things he mentioned was he thinks we're going to look back years from now on this point in time, and specifically with respect to the trade war with China, and we will look back as investors and say, oh, that was a thing that happened back then, but that's not, you know, that's not really uh, meaningful now. And it all goes under the umbrella of this is why we do what we do. This is why we focus on businesses because we have so much more control as investors when we focus on businesses because we can't control we can't control the news cycle. We can't control trade policy. That's precisely it. And I'm glad you said that because I totally agree. I mean, I think years from now, and as more time goes by, you look back and. You know, there will be little things that happen throughout history within those windows of time that maybe we examine, but we'll look back at this and, yeah, I mean, we'll think that ultimately, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Um, and I think it lends itself perfectly uh, to why we invest the way we invest. And, and I mean, it, you know, I know that sometimes it sounds a little bit like a broken record coming on this show or you hear it all over financial media. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, it's happening every day. I mean, we have a whole world out there of people who are either just trying to get into investing or want to learn more about it, um, and there are a lot of different ways uh, to do that. And, and obviously, we feel very strongly about the way we do things, and a lot of that comes down to the stuff that's going on right now. I mean, if you look at this from just the big picture view, like this really does look. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you put the tariffs on hold? We're getting ready to come into a big holiday season. You want these companies to be able to get their products out there for shoppers to buy. And I mean, whether it's Hasbro and Mattel toys or Apple iPhones. I mean, you know, I mean, you're not going to cut your nose off to spite your face. And I think that it's been a very crazy headline time here over the past week with. 
China trade war, with Hong Kong protests, with Goldman Sachs ratcheting back growth expectations, more talk about recession concerns. I mean, all of that stuff sort of coming together, and and then you know you see a headline like we did here before the market opened, and um, it 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 really does make you feel like this is just a lot of political posturing leading into the 2020 election. And perhaps there are some parties on the other side of it who are trying to sort of use a little reverse psychology. And maybe, you know, Goldman's saying, hey, we don't anticipate a solution to this trade war before the election. Maybe they're kind of trying to use a little reverse psychology to prompt some sort of a solution before the uh, 2020 election. Nobody ultimately knows. And, and, you know, we could sit here and examine it all day long, or we could just find good businesses, invest in them, and just come in the studio and hang out and talk every day. I like that. It's a lot of fun for me. As do I. <laughs> uh, let's move to some specific companies, and we'll start with Advance Auto Parts. Um, let me preface this by saying I don't own shares of Advance Auto Parts, and I have no feelings one way or the other about the business. That's my preface. Uh, second quarter profits for Advance Auto Parts were solidly below expectations. <laughs> their revenue was light. The company cut the high end of their sales guidance for the full fiscal year, and the stock is only down about one and a half percent. And I just look at all of that and think, wow, this was not a good quarter. This is not good guidance. The management of the company is talking about how challenging the environment is. Why is this stock not being punished more? It does feel like it probably should be. Um, I mean, this, I, I will say, like, I don't own shares either. It's very difficult for me to come away from looking at a business like this with its performance over the last two years and feel like it's any kind of a business you really want to own. I mean, we've talked a lot about the auto parts market and how attractive it can be from its resilience. This huge installed base of cars out there on the road, and those cars, as they age, you need little uh, auto part fixes here and there. But I mean, it's not the only business in this market. And when you look at Advanced Auto Parts' um, results, I mean, it is just a litany of mediocrity, really. I mean, if you, if you look at the stock performance over the last five years, it's been a it's been a volatile. Stock. Now, I mean, there was a point probably around July of 2017 where it would have been a good bet to buy shares. I mean, they were really uh, in the basement back then. And going back through those earnings releases and those calls, I saw a lot of what I'm still seeing now is this hope of some light at the end of the tunnel, of perhaps turning the corner. But every quarter, it's like flat sales, flat comps, challenges. Um, and then you look at the competition in the space, and I think O'Reilly probably is the most obvious suspect there. They're basically, for all intents and purposes, the same size footprint-wise. Uh, O'Reilly is a much larger company, market cap-wise. They're essentially doing the same in top-line sales. O'Reilly is making basically three times the net income that Advance Auto Parts is making, and consequently, that trickles all down to the bottom line. And investors in O'Reilly have been much happier with their holding than investors in Advance Auto Parts. So, to me, Advance just looks like one of those perfect sort of value investment-type situations. And today, specifically, I mean, I feel like it's a value trap, not a value play. I would steer clear of it. No pun intended. Well, maybe maybe a little pun intended. A little, but, a little uh, intention. Yeah, I mean, I I think I came away kind of with a lot of what you're feeling. I, I would just add AutoZone in there as another company, yeah, roughly that's, that's... roughly the same size market cap wise as O'Reilly, yeah. and has certainly done a better job of rewarding shareholders. Absolutely. Um, 
let's get to a couple of sales that are happening, and uh, I'll just we can take them one at a time. But let me mention them together. Uh, Constellation Brands, which is the parent company of uh, mainly a portfolio of wine, beer, and spirits, um, they are selling their Canadian whiskey portfolio for about a quarter billion dollars to Heaven Hill Brands. Um, Verizon is selling Tumblr. <laughs> Selling what? Tumblr. Tervis? Tumblers? Tumblr, which was bought by Yahoo back in 2013. Yahoo paid $1.1 billion for Tumblr, which is this social media platform. And Verizon is selling Tumblr um, for an, an amount of money that is so small that the price, and I'm quoting here, is not material to Verizon. Yeah, it's like a, basically a ham sandwich. I mean, it's not going to do anything for for their financial position. Um, and I, I'm not sure which one I'm more curious slash puzzled about because Constellation Brands. Um, I, I understand Heaven Hill Brands, which uh, is another uh, spirits company. Um, they're better known for some of the brands under their portfolio: Evan Williams, Elijah Craig. Um, two of the better-known uh, bourbons out there. Um, so I get why Heaven Hills is making this acquisition. Constellation Brands, they they say, okay, we're selling this because we want to focus on premium brands. The last time they went out and spent a lot of money investing in a brand, it was a marijuana company. Yeah, and they invested about four billion dollars. So I think if if I were a Constellation Brands shareholder. I'm not too thrilled with how the recent past has gone in terms of how the company is allocating capital. No, I think um, you know when we were we were talking before taping, and it, it the concern I think more than anything is kind of like okay, what exactly are you guys ultimately trying to pick a strategy and stick with it, pick a lane? Um, and and I mean it is worth noting. I mean they do they do have a new CEO uh, in the executive suite there, uh, Bill Newlands. Who I mean I think he he started up as, as CEO this year in, in March, so he's relatively new to that position. So he you know he didn't have a lot to do with strategy there before, um, at least not to the CEO level. And so maybe he's decided this is sort of the direction that he would rather take things and. Um, we've always looked at those investments in the marijuana space as you know, the more attractive way to play the marijuana space is to to invest in companies like Constellation because they have the they have the financial resources and the ability to make those investments without having to be like that pure play. I, and I, I think we're still so early in that game. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not going to hold that against them yet because I think there's a lot more to come as states you know change their their laws and and it just becomes a more widespread thing. But but I do think with Constellation, I mean, it is it's imperative that they pick a lane and stick with it. And and I'm okay if they want to do that, uh, focusing just on premium brands. I mean, it's worth noting they have a decent slug of goodwill on the balance sheet, represents about a quarter of total assets, and so they've got a history of you know buying. And and that's kind of what these businesses do. They buy in new brands and they. Uh, plug them into their business model, and in Constellation, it's it's you know it's distribution. They are pursuing kind of that premium style beer uh, catalog. I mean, you know, Corona and Modelo and Pacifico and things like that. So the the liquor line would 
uh, stay in line with that, I guess, as well. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, pick a lane, stick with it, and and let's keep an eye on those acquisitions because it does matter. That's uh, I'm I'm glad you said pick a lane and stick with it because that's what I've always thought about Constellation Brands as a business, yeah. and it's the same thing I think about a company like Diageo, where I just think, okay. This is a. There is money to be made in this business as long as you run it well. And it seems like Constellation Brands has. I don't. I don't know if there's confusion or you know the the attempt. I'm not knocking them for the attempt to diversify into marijuana. I'm knocking them for the way in which they did it and the amount of money that they spent. It feels like thus far it's been a bit of a scattered strategy, and so I would say that for. Investors in the business, one thing to keep an eye on, uh, one metric or or measurable to hold management accountable to is going forward. This new CEO, Mr. Newlands, I mean, is he sticking to a clear strategy? And, and I mean, if just do what you're telling me you're going to do, and if you're going to change your mind, make sure you give me some good reasons why you're doing it. And so I think paying a, paying a good amount of attention to his verbiage on the call here in the coming quarters is going to be uh, you know a good thing for investors to focus on. So Verizon buys Yahoo for 4.4 billion. Uh, if uh, you it know. really still feels like a lot. I mean, like let's be clear, man. I you know Yahoo just isn't what it is. It wasn't. It wasn't. It's today. It's not what it was. You know, no, that's ago. true. Although I was I was thinking about this, and this is you know I I know that there are great CEOs that we talk a lot about, and maybe for some of the listeners we talk a little bit too much about them. Um, but if we do, it's uh, partly because I and I think this deal in particular illustrates uh, what I'm about to say. When we talk about great CEOs who have led businesses that over time have succeeded year after year, maybe they have the occasional stumble, but in general, over decades, they are doing well and above average. Um, it's a reminder that that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly hard to do. Um, just to go back to the conversation I had with David Gardner, one of the things we talked about was um, AOL. And how AOL is a brand that largely doesn't exist anymore. And if you're a young enough person, you're totally forgiven for not knowing that in the 1990s, America Online was not only one of the best stocks to own, it was one of the best companies out there. It was the clear leader in the internet revolution. I mean, it helped get us to where we are today. Absolutely, it did. And Steve Case did an amazing job leading that company. And there was a point in time when Yahoo was an amazing stock to own. Yep. It was a leader in its category, and staying, you know, a leader for a long time is really hard to do. And Marissa, my, I mean, when this deal went through that Verizon was selling Tumblr for, you know, a bag full of nickels, there were people on Twitter who were resurrecting the story from. 2013, when Marissa Meyer, the CEO of Yahoo at the time, <laughs> um, announced the acquisition, we're paying 1.1 billion for Tumblr. They were, she was rightfully getting questions about the valuation. Are you sure, you know? And you know, maybe it's easy in hindsight to um, to knock her for that. Um, and I'm not trying to just do it without any regard whatsoever. But it's among other things, it's a reminder that. 
when you go out and make an acquisition, that only works if you can make it work. You know, there's an alternate universe where Yahoo pays 1.1 billion dollars for Tumblr. And they actually have a strategy to make that work. Yeah. Well, there was no what next, right? And I think that, like at the time, I mean, and we we always held Marissa Meyer to the benchmark that well, organic growth was really going to be the sign that she was getting this thing moving in the right direction. And I mean, even if you're going to make some acquisitions, you can then look at the company and start seeing is there going to be organic growth that comes from this? Because if you if you have big networks and you plug other big networks into those big networks, I mean, network effects can be extremely powerful. It does feel like the the Tumblr acquisition was one that was made a little bit in haste. I mean, I don't know really. Maybe they underestimated the the power of the business, uh, the businesses out there, and like Facebook and Instagram, and I mean even Twitter to a degree. I mean, because when you look at these, the I mean, if you look at Tumblr as a social media type of account, I mean, it is one of the least used in the context of all of those other names. I mean, it's just it's it's not. It's not really relevant, and so you know you're paying up a lot for that user base and thinking that you might be able to actually do something with that user base. And in a very short period of time, I mean, the way that we access our information, the content that we're getting from those phones, that just changed so quickly. And Yahoo was in this; they were at this point where they weren't. You know, they weren't able to execute some strategy that they'd been thinking out over the past four, five, six years or longer. I mean, they, they had a new CEO was trying to figure out some sort of a magic bullet, and she basically had a, a bottomless pit of money to try to do it, and it didn't work. I mean, it's not surprising it didn't work. I think it's a shame. She, she, she certainly made a lot of money evaporating the process, not from her account, mind you, because I'm sure she's doing just fine, Chris. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it really is a. I think for me, it's always a, it's a good example to look back to and think. You know, when you see these types of things happening, I hope for the best, but I look at them with extreme skepticism. And and, and I think that uh, skepticism is probably the better default in most cases. On the flip side, Automatic, which is the company that bought Tumblr. Um, and I've never heard of Automatic. I just learned this morning that it's the parent company of WordPress, <laughs> right? Which I'm, I'm familiar. Well, and this is right in line with uh, that business. Like I mean, this is one of those things where I'm like, oh, this actually seems like a brilliant move for yeah. Automatic. It's 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 right in their wheelhouse. They clearly paid very little money to get Tumblr, and whatever accounts are associated with it. So. Um, th- well done, automatic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're picking up shares of something on the cheap, and and you're doing, you're bringing something into your wheelhouse, right? It's like Chick Fil A throwing mac and cheese on the menu, right? I mean, it, it, that's something that I don't think we're ever going to see Chick Fil A really throw a burger on their menu in my lifetime, right, Chris? You just stick to what you know and you do it really well, right? And you can you can you can do a lot of powerful things with that. Uh, so hey, may, you know maybe there's maybe there's hope there for Tumblr and WordPress coming together like that. Maybe that's the Chick Fil A and mac and cheese combo that we're looking for in the blog world. I mean, time will tell. Email from longtime listener Brent Thompson. Subject line: Chick Fil A mac and cheese. <laughs> Brent writes: <laughs> yeah. I work with a woman whose family runs a couple of Chick Fil A's in Utah. Well she, done. That's a hard job to get. She said they sold out of mac and cheese on Monday. 
Just one data point, but a promising one. <laughs> I can believe it. I, listen, I was going through and, and uh, I was digging through McDonald's recent numbers and kind of looking back at what we were talking about on the show here a little bit before McDonald's numbers came out. We were talking about that chicken sandwich deal and how franchisees were like, "Okay, we really need a sandwich to compete with Chick Fil A." And, and I mean, I you know, listen, that was the chicken in the room, right? And McDonald's management laid a big fat turkey. They didn't bring it up in the call at all. And, and now. We look at this, and Chick-fil-A continues to control the conversation. It's not going to happen overnight. But again, you let a company like Chick-fil-A kind of go in there and keep on doing what they do well. And they don't have to worry about doing this in the context of being a publicly traded company. This is something that is going to challenge McDonald's growth domestically here in the coming years. They have they have a good product. McDonald's would be wise to get on this and figure something out. You got to figure the margins on mac and cheese have got to be really good. Oh, and I mean, like when you make mac and cheese at home, I mean, the day after you throw that stuff in the fridge, you take it back out, then you fry it up with some butter in the skillet. You have fried mac and cheese. You ever had that? I'm not not yet, but well, that's going to happen. That's coming soon. It's going to happen. I mean, you're leveraging, my house. you leverage that work that's already been done. One of our favorite favorite properties in the businesses that we cover, right? Fried mac and cheese. Yeah, it's real. Well, whatever I have for lunch today is going to be a total disappointment now. Thanks, Jason. Oh, well, I try to help when I can. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.